hello and welcome to the Libertarian Podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, joined as always by the Libertarian himself, Professor Richard Epstein, Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution as well as Professor of Law at NYU and Senior Lecturer at the University of Chicago. Today, the crisis in Greece. And Richard, you can't turn on a TV set the past couple of weeks without finding breathless coverage of the economic crisis in Greece. And on Sunday, the Greek people voted overwhelmingly, more than 60 percent, to reject the terms of the bailout offer from Europe, which would have forced them to cut some pensions, raise some taxes. And a lot of people said that the Greeks could only choose between bad and worse, though which was which varied based on who you were talking to. You either knuckle under to Europe's demands on the one side or you run the risk of getting kicked out of the euro altogether on the other. Had you been a Greek citizen, how do you think you would have voted here? Well, I think I would have voted yes, but – and let me say what the yes is and what <laughs> the but is. Um, if you start looking at what the program for reform is, there's several portions of it which are highly attractive and there's one which I think is probably a mistake. Um, if anybody looks at Greece, they realize that the entry restrictions on getting into new businesses is an absolute cancer in that country. Um, take any of the standard measures about how many permits you have to have, how many years it takes in order to start something up, all the concessions and reporting requirements. The country is a nightmare. And barriers to entry essentially protect existing businesses and have monopolistic effects and, and terrible on welfare. So they have to knock those things out. Uh, the second thing they have to do is, like the United States, is to reform the pension system. In Greece, you got, I think, something like 96% of your last salary or some similar base figure at age 55. And while that may not be an enormous on a given year basis, given the life expectancy of Greeks, which is close to 80 years, I think, um, you're talking about huge amounts of you have to put in reserves, <clears throat> that has to be changed. Otherwise, the system will not survive. And third, what they have to do is they have to take on their unions and basically get rid of collective bargaining at the industry level, <clears throat> even if they continue to allow it firm by firm. The monopolistic effect of unions on its effect on productivity is too great. If they did those three things, my attitude is that they should not raise taxes at all. What you do is you basically carry them for a little bit. If the returns or the reforms are really structural and good, uh, then the revenues will drop in the short run and they'll pick up uh, in two to three years and things will be right. The, the danger of putting in high taxes at the beginning is that it will simply negate the effect of the other three kinds of proposals. Now, mind you, the Greeks are all in favor of high taxes, but only on the top 1% or some equivalent right. there too, which is, again, another form of economic madness. It's not just a question of income distribution. Most very rich people do not consume all their money. They invest it. That's one thing they actually know how to do is to invest money, which is what got them to be rich in the first place. And, and so if, in fact, you have the Greek program, it's there. Now, why is it that what should Europe do at this point? They should say forget about it. Um, you guys are never going to get rid of your socialist dogma on all the things that you're talking about. We're just throwing good money after bad. You will never be self-sustaining. You will never make the kinds of reforms. Uh, we can't help you. Uh, the liabilities that we will lose under current accounts are large. The ones that we would lose if we throw good money after bad are larger. And the instruction and the incentive effects that it gives to other places like Spain and like Portugal and Italy will be to do exactly the same thing. So I think, in effect, it's actually not a hard choice. And I lament the fact that economists, supposedly distinguished economists, Piketty and Krugman and Stiglitz, actually have taken the opposite position. 
I think they're delusional, to use the correct word, on this situation. <laughs> because what they don't do is ask about the internal infirmities. They're all macroeconomists, so they kind of look at need, debt flow, and stuff like that. But they never look at the intermediate reforms that have to be made. And these are huge reforms. Labor markets, pensions, barriers to entry are as important as monetary and fiscal policy. So I think that they should get the giant raspberry. Uh, from everybody else, um, and the Greeks are not going to come forward with another proposal. So I think it's sayonara, or whatever the appropriate expression is. It's a tragedy, <laughs> but when you elect a strong socialist government, um, they are going to make that place into Venezuela or Cuba, whether or not you exit the era. So Europe should save itself, because at this particular point, no matter what it does, it cannot save Greece. Well, there's an argument about out there about whether this is a particular problem that you can consider in isolation or whether this is a metaphor for the broader shortcomings of the EU, which that is to say that you couldn't bind this many different political systems, this many different economies, this many different cultures together without having inevitably these kinds of disruptions. Do you look at this and see a broader lesson that maybe the whole underlying European project isn't sustainable in the way yes. it's been constructed? I've been a long believer, I've been a long opponent to the notion that central power harmonized in Brussels has anything to do with sensible policy. Uh, these countries are too diverse. They're very different from the United States insofar as military and foreign affairs are left with the individual states, the inverse of the American solution. And I think the correct thing to do is to have free trade within the system and lower tariff barriers outside the system rather than trying to attempt the governance. And Given the fact that the economies are so regulated independently by separate countries, using the fixed currency and the euro where German productivity soars and Greek productivity shrinks, it means under these systems the Greeks cannot sell their goods in Europe when they're hit by the high euro. And flexible exchange rates will dominate under these kinds of circumstances. So this is a classic illustration of central planning gone haywire, which is what Brussels does. And how do they harmonize? Always in the wrong direction. Uh, they're always trying to figure out new regulations to impose on everybody instead of trying to get rid of all regulations on anybody. The genius of the American system through the Dormant Commerce Clause, a judicial creation, is when we have barriers to entry across state lines, the Supreme Court could strike them down. What it cannot do, because it doesn't have, thank heavens, the institutional capabilities, is to put new ones in place. They could level down on restrictions. They can't level up. The Europeans can level up. And if you level up, you're going to get this kind of situation. Remember, these guys are in Simon Pure, to put it mildly. The French are hopelessly socialist on these things. The Germans are a little bit more shrewd, but they're social democrat. There's nobody in Europe who actually believes in open and free and strong markets the way in which I do. So... The question is, how bad is bad? Well, if the German variety, you can do pretty well. No doubt about that. Not ideally. The French variety, badly. Spanish variety, badly. Um, you know, so they really have a lot of soul searching to do. And what an open market does is it essentially strengthens the case for competitive forces within each country. And that's a very powerful, constant hammer. So moving from a community of trading to a centralized union was, in my view, a major, major mistake for Europe. The watchword here amongst the Krugmans and the Piketty's of the world, the people who are very concerned about what happens if Greece is not 
kept within this European community is contagion, is this idea that what happens in Greece is not going to stay in Greece. This is going to royal financial markets around the world. How concerned are you about that? Well, I'm concerned about contagion in both directions. I mean, if in fact the Greeks actually succeed, it's going to royal financial markets because people will now say, look at the other three of the of the gigs, you know, look at Portugal, look at uh, Spain, look at Italy, and they're likely to do exactly the same thing because now they know that larceny pays. So you can't escape that. That's the first point. I mean, they're going to be negative effects no matter which you do. Uh, and generally speaking, when it gets so complicated to figure out what the negative effects are going to be, the correct thing to do is the right thing rather than to overly worry about them. The other point is we have a looming crowd on the horizon called China. And the central planning bubble there is about to burst. It's already burst with respect to real estate. Now it's about to go with respect to the stock market. And essentially, you know, Greece is a suburb in terms of size and finance of Beijing. I mean, that's going to be the serious problem. They've got a different form of central planning mania. They really thought that you could have a strong, directed government. Sure, it gets rid of the difficulties associated with zoning, so it has some positives. State can do whatever it wants. But on the other hand, the negatives in terms of the misallocation of capital to foolish projects are enormous. That's going to be dwarfing Greece when it comes down the road. I mean, look, the world has got to understand in a serious way that this sort of return to centralized planning under a variety of guises, occasionally overtly socialist and Greek, but often under some social democratic or national state planning banner, it never works. I mean, a minimal state is not no state. Trying to make sure you have currency, roads, infrastructure, monopoly, contract enforcement, courts and defense. Uh, you can't shrink the size of government, in my judgment, much below 20% of GDP in one form or another. But boy, oh boy, it's like a laugh curve. Once you start going beyond the necessary, it becomes a disaster. Every dollar that's taken from the private sector is going to be wasted by the public sector. And as you keep moving further and further down that curve, you're getting into deeper and deeper negative territory. And I just don't believe that any of these leaders believe that. There's nobody who speaks on the world stage with kind of the ideological clarity of either a Margaret Thatcher or a Ronald Reagan. That's sorely missing today. What about the decision to have a referendum in Greece, Richard? I mean, on one hand, you've got people who say, you know what, it's totally illegitimate to have these insular foreign elites dictating terms of the Greek people. On the other hand, you get the response that, you know what, these are extremely complicated, nuanced negotiations, not the kind of thing for which exercises in plebiscitary democracy or well-suited. Any misgivings about the role that the Greek electorate was allowed to play here? No, actually, on balance, I think it was probably a good thing, but not for the reasons that are conventionally stuck. What you need to know is to get some gauge as to the extent to which you can now make a serious bargain with the Greeks. And when the no referendum comes out, it's quite clear that it's all over. Um, to put it the other way, suppose what you did is had no referendum, got somebody coming hat in hand, accepted the terms of the bailout in a principle at some negotiations and had to take it back to the Greek parliament where it's going to be voted down. Much better to do it this way. There's more legitimacy for the Greek decision, popular election, but there's now more legitimacy for the European decision. These guys simply do not want to play. I mean, I regard this as a kind of a capstone of silly policies. And, and, and you know, I am no great admirer of Piketty, no great admirer of Stiglitz or Krugman when it comes to these kinds of issues. And the fact that they are backing a wrong horse in a hard race only proves, I think, how utterly misguided economists can be when they start putting their morals and sentiments ahead of their tough judgment. 
So final question for you then. Where do you see this all going? One of the original goals of the EU was seemingly to have Europe play a role on the world stage that allowed them to punch at a weight closer to the United States, if not equal. Does this all end up, when all is said and done, with Europe weaker than they were before they banded together or stronger? Well, they're going to be weaker. Of course, the United States hasn't done any great shakes. Um, if you just want to take the one single sort of indicator of malaise in America, the median income in the United States has dropped about seven or eight points in the last six or seven years, maybe not quite that much, and it's still well below you know, its peak in 2007. It's back to about 1996 levels or something like this. I mean, we're not doing so great either, and it's because the same kinds of policies are forced here. The difference in the United States is that there's actually a respectable intellectual right wing which puts some resistance onto the situation. I mean, you go to Europe and try to find anybody who's a responsible thinker in public places, they're really very, very rare. So, you know, I think we will gain relative to them simply by virtue of the fact that we're losing less. But, you know, we get a Democratic Congress and a Democratic president in 2016, and we will start to look very much like Europe. I mean, anybody who's ever listened to Bernie Sanders will know he plays the same socialist trump card. Free university education for everybody. How is it going to be financed by a tax on the rich? Maybe. But, you know, you're taxing the rich for 26 things, and after you have a 104% tax rate, there aren't any rich people left. It it's becomes almost ludicrous to watch the way in which the progressive wing of the Democratic Party is moving because they're trying to outdo Greece on these issues. And I don't want my ode to a Grecian worm to say, thou still unravished and developed economy, please get back to classical liberal positions. These guys are not willing to do it. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Richard. And thank you to our listeners. And remember, you can find Richard's weekly column, The Libertarian, by visiting Defining Ideas at Hoover.org. And you can follow him on Twitter at Richard A. Epstein. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.